You go to your phone. You tweet at the Paranoia Shop Twitter account, at Paranoia Shop, in case you're wondering. You tell Chad and Aaron about a spooky thing you saw on the internet, something they might need to know. Then you hear a rap on your door. Rap, rap. Not not the type of like a person rapping, like a, like a, there you go, thank you, Aaron. Like a knock, like a knock, knock on your door. You turn towards it. You go to the door and look out your little peephole window, because you're a very secure person with a peephole window. <laughs> Outside is just a giant eye. The eye is filling the entire doorway of your building. <laughs> what? Hold on. Let me finish this. What is happening? The eye looks back at you and says, I just saw what you tweeted. <laughs> Isn't that spooky? It, because it's a fan mail fan episode. Fan mail episode. That was pretty good. <laughs> off the top of my head. It's pretty what good. The what the hell? Wouldn't that be spooky? If a yes. giant eye was looking back at you and it read your tweets, even though you're on private, oh boy, that means that means someone that follows you is the giant eye. Yeah, or it's that stupid Doctor Who episode. <laughs> hey, everybody, welcome to Paranoia Shop, your one-stop shop for all things conspiratorial, supernatural, and generally weird. Uh, I'm your host, Aaron J. Waltke, and I'm your other host, Chad C. Quant. I didn't know we were giving out our middle names again because that's bad for uh, identity theft. Is it? I don't know. I feel like I've, I never put it down on anything because I always figure like that's the one thing that's going to keep someone from stealing my identity. It's the, your middle initial. Yeah, middle initial. They're like just stumped. <laughs> they're security. stumped when they're trying to go. Anyway. Uh, uh, this is our episode number 13. It is the Necro Fan Mail Namicon episode. Yes, you guessed it from that wonderful title. It is yet another <laughs> fan mail episode. Surprisingly, where- we've had... This is our third one. I know, and it always seems like we do them too often. Yeah, I don't know why people would keep sending us stuff, but you guys have, you wonderful, wonderful people. You know, it's like, ah, oh, we just did a fan mail episode, and then we look in the mailbag, and we have, like, a thousand pages of emails and tweets of suggestions. So thank you guys so much for sending all of those. That's If you want less of these, uh, don't write in, but we like it. Or write in letters and say, no way contributing to the fan mail episode. <laughs> like, just personal messages... Snapchats, that sort of thing, totally okay. But anyway, this is one of those fan mail episodes where you, the listeners, control what we talk about. It, we got your tweets, we got your emails, that's all sent to paranoiashop, S-H-O-P-P-E, at gmail.com, or at paranoiashop. Uh, you send us everything you uh, think is spooky, or interesting, or bizarre, and uh, then we delve in with our little comedy brains and pick it apart. I, I had never thought of this for some reason, in a way that they are, you know, uh, wonderful listeners are controlling an episode of Paranoia Shop. I thought this was more like, oh, fan reach out and discuss with the wonderful people who listen. I would not thought about it. They're, dem- through democracy, controlling our episode. Yeah, we're turning the keys over to our loyal fans. I don't think I like that. I don't. I don't. We, well, we've done it two times already. So. I've, well, I've been tricked. <laughs> anyway, you guys have sent so much stuff, and we've been away on hiatus for a little bit. We feel like we should probably just plow through it and address it all, 
But because mm-hmm. you sent so much, this is going to be like a hyperspeed episode. We're going to yeah. try to get into as much detail as possible. But forgive us if we just kind of like mention it, put on the air what you said, and then move on. <laughs> <laughs> we show zero acknowledgement. You'll hear not a decibel from us for your subject when we move on. <laughs> I will say, I believe a few of these uh, we've tried to hold on to and put aside if we believe they're related to an episode we have upcoming for a topic. So if you're not hearing your response back, you're not ignored. You're not ignored. You might have also emailed the wrong email address. Just throwing it out there. We might also be saving it for an actual full episode. Anyway, uh, let's dive into this. Our first submission let's, is from- Let's, hold on, hold on. Let's unzip the mailbags. Our first email is from uh, superfan Mr. Travis Moody, mm-hmm. who writes, Hello, shopkeepers. Me again, just dropping in to give some cool ideas or suggestions on weird things you should look into for a podcast. One big topic are the weird weapons of World War II, like the aircraft carrier made of ice. What? The German V3 weapon, or known as the super gun. And the German secret UFO project. The Germans, close to the end of the war, were experimenting in levitating flight. Try looking up the German Bell or Flytrap. As you have noticed, I am quite fond of World War II. Hope this gives you guys some good ideas and it featured on an upcoming podcast. As always, keep up the good show, old chaps. Well, thank you, Travis. Oh, he says, P.S. On podcast episode 10, when you dropped my name at the end, I literally jumped. All right, Travis. Hold up a second. You're coming at us with three separate things. You just did a full episode for us. I will say, though, this is something that I was wanting to, to cover for a while, and I was wondering when we would get into the, the super weapons of World War II, because it's it, it really is quite interesting. There were some really crazy ideas that were floated by these scientists who eventually came up with, you know, the atomic bomb and shit like that. Right, well, we know that we know that Hitler went back in time using the chronosphere <laughs> and killed Einstein. Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> and that set up Red Alert 1. Yeah. Actually, no, I'm sorry, that was Stalin. That's the same thing. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. This is kind of cool because it's it's a real super weapon at the ICE aircraft carrier. As 1942 began, the Americans had joined World War II and the Battle of the Atlantic began to intensify. German U-boats were picking off merchant ships at an alarming rate. 56 ships totaling 258,000 tons were sunk in an air gap between Greenland and Iceland. And that's not Germany just being mean. They were trying to, like, lower our uh, imports and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But basically, if we can't get all the steel we need to build ships, then we lose World War II. So this is a real big problem. It was a desperate situation that called for a radical solution. Looking to turn things around, Winston Churchill, obviously Prime Minister of World Uh, uh, War II Britain. Of course. Prime uh, Minister of World War II. Who was an ardent supporter of unique technological innovations approved Operation Habakkuk, which was the plan to create a fleet of massive aircraft carriers made from ice. What? Okay, so this is a real thing. This is real. My my opinion, knowing zero things about Churchill and his ideas on technology, I got more of an impression that he was less about, like, crazy, crazy tech and more about, like, dumb plans, like, let's drop all the guys on him at once. Well, that seemed more like Churchill's style. I think he was of the belief that the crazier an idea was, if you throw enough manpower and stick to itiveness and gumption at it, it'll probably work. Like ice boats. Like ice boats. So these boats were actually made of a frozen slurry of wood pulp and ice called pikrete that was invented by Jeffrey Pike, an eccentric scientist who was working for combined operations, which is sort of like the MI5 of World War II. Earlier that year, Pike was struck with the idea of creating floating islands made from carefully sculpted icebergs. He eventually realized that this vision was unworkable. Standard ice was simply too weak. 
He's, he needed something more durable. The new material, dubbed Pikrete, increased the strength of regular ice up to 70 kilograms per square centimeters, which is enough to deflect a bullet shot at close range. Uh, okay. But is this stronger than metal? It's no. it's as strong as concrete with wire mesh in, reinforcing to it. But why, Aaron? Well, if you want to get into the science of it, it's basically the wood pulp. No, uh, no, no, no. Sorry. I don't okay, no. <laughs> okay. But I'm still not seeing why this is a better solution to metal boats unless we ran out of metal. So the point is, it's not create new boats because our boats were fine. It was that we had no air coverage to sink or spot U-boats that were coming to sink our ships. Because there was just like, like the weather was too inhospitable to sure. have, and it was too expensive to create aircraft carriers. So they were like, "What you know, in this area that has all these icebergs, what if we made like these floating islands made out of ice?" Okay, so they're not supposed to be like warships. They're they supposed are, to just be like floating party party platoons. <laughs> they're party platoons, but they have a motor on them, and they can move up to seven knots per hour, which is like seven miles per. hour. It's not very fast, but they they can move around and they can carry up to 300 planes at once for comparison the largest aircraft carrier ever created could hold 90 okay i think what you're missing in this important detail is that this is the precursor to churchill's second plan and that they had aircraft carriers made out of fun noodles <laughs> fun noodles tied together and and like those novelty inflatable pool toys that are like mm -hmm. it's a giant reese's pieces mm -hmm. cup and but the major problem was they put the shamu ones in there and those shamu <laughs> ones are impossible to get on and, <laughs> and that's why a lot of people lost off. their lives yeah <laughs> so the americans were obviously skeptical about mm -hmm. it but um, Churchill, being Churchill, was like, we're doing it anyway. Uh, and so then they they engaged Operation Habakkuk, which is named after, I don't know, the word for ice I think, aircraft I think carriers. Habakkuk is that like new horror movie about the man with the top hat. <laughs> Habakkuk. Habakkuk. So they actually created a prototype in Jasper, Canada, in, a, in like a frozen lake called Patricia Lake, where a scale model was built in the summer of 1943. was, in fact, susceptible to melting. So mm -hmm. to deal with this, they wound up having to essentially build it and turn it into a giant refrigerator, like a floating refrigerator by putting what? cooling systems throughout the ice, uh, which made it work, but it also upped the cost by like a thousandfold. How is this better <laughs> than just an aircraft carrier? Well, at that point, it didn't, and that's why we don't have floating aircraft carriers made of ice now, was because it was just too, it cost too much to make. When you say a scale model of it, that means like, it was literally just a, a, a lemonade that Churchill had, and he made an ice shape into the shape of a boat and just said, like, oh, it'll work. It'll work. No, it was actually a thousand tons and was about 60 feet long, so it was like the size of a yacht. I like that they put it in that part of Canada just so that no one could know about yeah. it. Not for, like, spy secrecy, but more like, this is going to be a big embarrassment. I, yeah. I overspoke the ice boat idea. <laughs> the complications with having to put in a cooling system and the costs of and metal and whatnot, uh, it was just too crazy. So by the time they actually got to where they could build a working model of it uh, in 1944, the war was already different. The uh, Americans had already started cranking out like a thousand aircraft carriers at a time, and it was and so it was canceled. So they just left that model in the lake, right? Thinking, oh, it'll just take care of itself. It didn't melt for an entire year and a half. And a bunch of kids had a fun summer hangout. I know. 
Uh, how, can you imagine coming across like a floating miniature aircraft carrier in your backyard? I would think it'd be aliens. Okay, so that was ice aircraft carriers that actually existed. Something that was coming from the opposite end over in our friends, the Nazis. Yeah, the Nazis had way better crazy tech. Yeah, the Nazis had a whole set of technological innovations of, of secret weapons that were called the Wunderwaffe. Uh, which are, essentially translates to miracle weapons. One of these was the German V3 super gun. It works on a theoretical multi-charge principle whereby secondary propellant charges are added to the velocity of a projectile as it's fired out of the gun. So rockets on a rocket? Kind of, yeah. Imagine a giant gun, right? And there's a barrel right down the middle. Wait, was this a gun? Not like a because I didn't think of V2 rockets. No, it's a gun. Uh, but the, it can shoot projectiles further across the English Channel. What? Imagine a giant barrel, mm -hmm. and then attached to that barrel are a bunch of mini barrels of guns. So as this giant projectile is being shot out, additional gun bullets or, or gun discharges are firing more pressure behind it. It's going to go faster so, and faster so and faster. the bullet's flying forward. Yeah. It's in the barrel, flying you know, across the English Channel. Meanwhile, as it passes a certain part of the <laughs> no. barrel... Another bullet is fired <laughs> no. in the barrel? It's all in the, the initial launch. There are multiple barrels attached to the giant barrel that sure. make it go faster and faster and faster. Until it's finally launched out of the barrel, and then it could go across country. But it's like one long barrel. It's one long giant mega gun. It's the sniper rifle guns. from Wanted. Yes. When he like shoots the guy from across the, the country or whatever. Yeah, basically that. Okay. Here's the crazy thing is they actually built a working version of one of these and they were about to use it in Pas de Calais in Northern France. And just as they were about to use it to basically wreck England uh, with these shells that seemed to come from nowhere because they were literally coming from another continent. But just as they were about to fire it, there was an allied bombing raid that rendered it unusable. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh my god, so it was, it, was a, it was a super weapon. Yes, that was a Wunderwaffe. How, how long did the barrel go? go? I'm imagining, like, across an entire city. It, like no, it least. could go across, like, all of no, Europe. No, no, I mean the barrel itself. Oh, like the city. I'm imagining, like, the XL pipeline. <laughs> oh, like, a, like if they turned the Large Hadron Collider into a gun? Yeah. And that was the very real German V3 super gun that almost killed britain that's definitely something hellboy like had to take down that wasn't yeah. a bomber that was hellboy coming <laughs> in and punching it out okay so now let's get a little bit into the weird shit this is this is one sure, the called one. the nazi bell or die glock which like, is something I like that i have wanted to do for a long time you wanted to do this i wanted to do this Aaron, uh, be careful the, die glock which is german for the bell was a purported top secret nazi scientific technological device associated with nazi occultism and anti-gravity or free energy research it's described as being a device made out of a hard heavy metal approximately nine feet wide and 12 feet high having a shape similar to a large bell it stored a bunch of weird mercury-like substances in it. It was said to be, emit a strong radiation when activated, whose effects were completely unpredictable. <laughs> they just made a radiation machine? Yes, but here's the weird, the crazy things that supposedly it did do, besides leading to the death of several unnamed scientists. Please say created the Nightcrawler. Whenever it's activated, it kills anything within like a 30-mile radius. Awesome! But it also, it supposedly creates a test rig of anti-gravity propulsion, which essentially gives the Nazis UFOs. I'm sorry? Like, when they turn it on, it, it allows a field of anti-gravity that can lift up, you know, any ship. 
But like they'd be dead in the ship, so what would that possibly be? Eh, maybe they have lead shielding, I don't know. Okay, so you would theoretically put the bell in an area, put a bunch of uh, little hovercrafts with like machine guns strapped to it and Nazis in yeah. full lead suits, just super hot and sweaty. And then it's there. just the fucking rocket here. Turn it on. All the machines go up and hover in the air. Mm-hmm. Probably no way to actually steer them. They're hover tanks. World but, War. You can't Warhammer steer 40, them. Warhammer 40,000. You can't steer them because they're just kind of floating on a pocket of anti-gravity. Maybe you have a, like a mini bell behind it that shoots in okay. the direction. And then everything below it is death. I know. Isn't that like a crazy weapon? So how do you... This is how you weaponize it. Is you bring it into like New York and every city in America at the same time. And just have like German like... We're having a big pizza party. <laughs> Come German, to our pizza party, German yeah. pizza party. We are going to eat. It will be meat good. We'll eat up here. And then Let us bell. ring in the new year. Turn on the bell. With the Nazi bell. That's the best I can come up with. And it is the year 2014. So I think the Germans couldn't come up with a better use for it. Okay. So how, how about this? The bell yields strange effects. It buzzed like a beehive, glowed bluish, and induced biological effects such as the separation of liquids and gel and many disorders of the nervous system when it killed them. Its effects were considered so terrible that the scientists who worked on it, who supposedly went on to work on the Manhattan Project, uh, actually destroyed uh, everything that they could get their hands on in case that other people could get the technology and use it So we don't know how to make the bell. No. So many believe that it actually may have been a working time machine in addition to an anti-gravity machine. Oh my god, it's the chronosphere! Yeah. Some German scientists have gone on record <laughs> saying it was designed to warp space-time and allowed the SS to travel backward through time. The device was considered so important to the Nazis that they killed 60 scientists that worked on the project and buried them in a mass grave. No! They're... No, you dummies! Oh, so they... If you knew how to make it, basically you got killed. It created a portal that allowed you to see images from the past in the in the mirror where's all this time traveling stuff coming from like is there an account of like i saw the bell turned on and i saw i saw the movie titanic and i watched it through the, the portal yeah oh, I, I, all this was re- relayed to a polish journalist in like 1997 and now it's supposedly the bell was moved to some south american country or maybe it was confiscated as part of a deal with one of the nazi defectors so as far as we know the bell still exists yes it requires a strange fuel right it was like it was like a mercury type yeah red mercury it wasn't just like gasoline so that's so that's the nazi bell the the glock Thank you very much, Mr. Moody. That was wonderful and scary. And I hope to find the bell someday. Mm-hmm. That's my. Do you want to read the next one? Yeah, I'll take this next one. This next one's from the wonderful Luke O'Connorable, who writes, Hey, Aaron and Chad, thanks for reading my email on your show. Not, not this email. I think he means the previous one. I loved your reactions to the Ninjen, as the mirrored ways my friends uh, reacted. Oh, that Ninjen. Mm, or, uh, refresh our memory on the Ninjen. Uh, it was the giant weird whale guy who h- hangs around by icebergs. <laughs> It freaks me the fuck out. I forgot what things we've discussed on this show. Oh my god. Okay, uh, yes, the Ningen. Some saying they were cute and silly, others being horrified. A few weeks after I sent an email, I heard some stories I thought you guys would like about the building I work in and my grandmother. Oh, okay. So this is like a personal story. This is a personal anecdote. Cutting to you first, a paranoia conspiracy. I'm a night guard in an apartment building, which is pretty great because it's the middle of the night and I can just futz around while watching the security cameras. One night, May 22nd of this year, I was going on my patrol of the small gardens around the building, checking no windows were broken and whatnot, when something strange happened. 
I noticed a small rubber ball, orange in color, sitting on the ground. When I approached it, a large gust of wind blew, and I heard what could only be described as children giggling rather softly. Yeah. That's when you quit your job. <laughs> yeah. That's when you knock on every apartment building and tell them everyone, and then you leave. The sound circled around me and then faded, but I brushed it off as the wind rushing through small gaps around the building and thought nothing of it. Mostly so I wouldn't be freaked out for the rest of the night. Again, leave the building. Yeah. This I'm sounds not- like Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah, yeah. In the morning, I told my boss about it. He is the building manager and worked there during the day for over 10 years. Again, Five Nights at Freddy's. You don't want to talk to the day guy. I told him about the ball and the sound and handed the ball over to it as it may have been owned by a resident. I like that you kept the ball. Yeah. I feel like I would have just like kicked it far down the hallway and ran. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you kept on to it, which also would have attracted all the ghosts, by the way. That's how movies work. Yeah. Uh, he then told me that the building may in fact be haunted and had several short anecdotes. Once in the early evening, he had seen an unfamiliar woman walk through a hall. On investigation, she was nowhere to be found. But there was what appeared to be talcum powder all over the floor. It could just be like a wandering old lady. That could just be like an old lady with <laughs> Who like... just spilled her powders. Her talcum powders just <laughs> wandering around. I was just trying to get ice from the machine. Oh, my... my sap. I dropped my talcum powders in my balms. <laughs> my balm. Uh, <laughs> another incident was a different guard saying he saw a woman outside through a window. When he approached her, she seemed to fade away. But later that night, he saw a giant baby what? crawling away from him, oh, no. shrinking, and then being carried away by the same woman figure. Are you sure you, there, this isn't like an LSD factory you work in? It also could be some like weird fetish stuff just going on <laughs> in the apartment. I'm a, I'm a giant baby. Take me, mama. And you just saw it, just blocked out. That must have been a ghost, because my brain can't handle that being a weird sex thing. There is an incident involving a resident who would complain about tapping and creaking around her apartment. When investigated, nothing seemed to be wrong, until one evening she ran out of the building with some luggage. When my boss asked her where she was going, she said, All the cupboards were open! My things are everywhere! I can't live like this! And sure enough, the entire room was a mess. However, she'd only been home for ten minutes, and there were no signs of forced entry and or footage of anyone going into the room. The last story I have was told to me by my grandmother over dinner. I was telling her about your show, and she... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for telling your grandma about this show. (laughs) Uh, Hello, grandma. His Australian grandma. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe they're called grandmamas in Australia. Uh, They're called They're called... They're called... All called graymos. Sorry. Hi. Sorry. Gay, Austra- gay I'm, I'm sorry in I, advance. I can't do Australian. Uh, <laughs> I was telling her about your show, and she perked up and said, I have a story like one of those. I, okay, cool down down to earth grandma. She recounted waking up she recounted waking up in the middle of the night and seeing a little monochrome girl, uh racist grandma, in nineteen forties <laughs> clothing, sitting on the foot of her bed. My <laughs> grandmother asked the girl, What are you doing here? And the girl turned to her, said sorry, and faded away. Your <laughs> grandmother shamed a ghost. <laughs> I, well, that's sorry never that. happened. Where you just like, are you sure this wasn't in Canada? Yeah, I, I like the most point, was like, I, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I go, sorry, sorry. I'll go on to the other world. Then. Sorry about that. Who who would have ever thought you just need to shame ghosts? <laughs> At first, I thought this was just my grandmother having a nightmare, but my molder sense kicked in. I wanted to believe, so I looked into the building she lives in. Turns out it used to be a boarding school, one that burned down in the mid-40s. Though I could find no accounts of any fatalities. Wow. Wow. Hope you guys enjoyed my spooky stories, and I'll send you any more I stumble across. Luke out. Luke, I hope you don't run into any more. Your grandmother 
is clearly a ghost uh, warrior. <laughs> Some sort of, like, mage that just, can just... Just wait for her to pass on, like, her secrets and artifacts that she fights goats with. Have you considered uh, teaming up with your grandmother and going into business where you become, like, not just a medium, but you go into buildings that are haunted and fight the ghosts and also shame them? And maybe have, like, a, a weekly primetime sitcom on NBC. It would be like Dresden Files, but instead of, like, you just made them feel bad about themselves. <laughs> We got another email from Mr. Brian Espinoza, who writes, My cousin and I were at his house on a Halloween day. We were left alone while our parents went to pick up my siblings from school. I've always had this weird feeling about the house and hated to be there. We were in the kitchen and we saw a pair of legs that <laughs> appeared under the table. So we ran out of the house and stood outside while it was raining. I was so scared, I never wanted to go to that house ever again. Whoa, whoa okay, wait, 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 all right, so let's, let's, let's work this out. So he's in the house, and they're in, they're just walking through the kitchen. Are they so small that they can't see over I, the table? I get the sense maybe they were young, younger folks. What's scarier? What's scarier if you just have to have vision over the table so you don't know what's over the side looking at you? Mm -hmm. Or to be of normal adult height? And seeing on the other side of the table, there's clearly nothing there. Yeah. And then you, like, bend down, like, tie your shoelace or something, and you see a pair of legs on the side staring back. Uh, I mean, personal experience, legs would be freaky. I think seeing a face of some horrible thing that's staring at I'm you... I'm getting generally freaked out by this, like, imagery. Yeah. I I'm, I'm think I'm, I'm seeing the DeviantArt picture that hasn't been created yet. Yeah. Of, like, the kid being below the table and not seeing the horrifying thing lurking over the top of the right. table at you. All right, that's pretty scary. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Brian. Has been was over. that your mom? It could have been just your cousin. It could have been a parent. Could have been someone, or like your neighbor boy was doing <laughs> a little. But you know, don't go in that house if you think there's a monster in there. Yeah, I got another one from uh, Javier who writes into us. Uh, Sup, shopkeepers Chad and Aaron. Aaron and Chad, guy and other guy. I like to, <laughs> I like to think that I'm a guy in that one. Many people, more than I care to think, believe that there is an upper echelon of society that is very carefully and systematically getting rid of dregs of society. It's called called Beverly Hills. The common person who doesn't make millions of dollars a year. They've given many names to this group and have always combined multiple theories into singular theories to explain their motives and actions. As I fancy myself a writer, I figured I'd make a fan art for the shop. Aw. That's cool. Who said you needed pictures to make fan art, right? Right? Oh, oh. Listen, this is like this is like a spoken word. Yeah, era. yeah. Okay. So this is like I read through this and I was like, this is cool, man. I'm on, I'm on board with this because he he's not a drawer, but he he wrote sort of like a a spoken word monologue, which we can write, read a few excerpts from. It's pretty long, but I I wanted to highlight this because I thought it was pretty cool. So thank you, Javier. Okay, and uh, I will say, uh, Javier, with your permission, we'll put this all up on the uh, Paranoia Shop website, which yeah. I've been meaning to update. So I'll put this all up so you can just read it up on the episode's uh, entry below the episode. Illuminatus, the name of a member of the Illuminati, the supposed super smart, super secret, secret society that never existed or stopped existing, with such esteemed members by the names of Sir Isaac Newton, Adam Weishapult, Wait, you're telling me Newton was actually a member of the Freemasons? Damn, well, uh, Adam. He started the group in order to surround himself with like-minded individuals, and they are very much ahead of their time in terms of ideals. Things like general equality were what they wished for. They made enlightenment their slogan, and perhaps at a time when religious institutions were unstable, we've been told time and time again that we are rats in a cage, so to speak. We are at the will and mercy of those who have had the knowledge of the ancients, 
and we do nothing to stop the plans of ill intent started, some would say centuries ago. The wealthy few are trying to get rid of the waste and keep only the best of the best, and if we help them in that task, then that just makes things easier. But what if we have it all wrong? People often fear what they do not understand. Many times we have seen people fall into the mob mentality of anger and kill it with fire before it breathes. Perhaps someone is trying to prevent this kind of thing happening at a very specific moment in our future. Maybe someone cracked Nostradamus's codes, or perhaps the predictions of a yet unknown precognitore. It's usually said in movies, it's better if one of their own kind tells them first. Of course, not every single event in history may be a moment of truth point, but it stands to reason as much as any other theory that the possibility that some of the global elite are not as much as the enemy as we believe them to be? Perhaps the distractions of television and celebrities was manufactured not to control us, but more like the oldest trick in the book. Get drunk on this whiskey while I dig the bullet out of your leg. But you know, fuck Wall Street. Those guys are assholes. End transmission. Thank you, Javier. I totally might have uh, butchered your vision a little bit by trying to jump around and showing some excerpts. It's a nice, long read. I highly so recommend I, you check it out. So I think what he was saying was, was like the Illuminati. What if the Illuminati, who we all assume is evil, is actually good and trying to go back in time and steer us on the right path or or like are trying to influence uh, human events to where they could prevent evil things from happening rather than be the cause of them? Well, I think it was also the idea that like in the future... Like, they, this Illuminati group already kind of knows the big end game thing that's happening, yeah. and they're steering us towards that via... But I think maybe they're trying to help us, like, that, the conspiracy within the conspiracies. Like, they work from the shadows to do good. Like, maybe they have some vision of the future and know something is uh, is terrible, so they're they're sort of like the the noble, invisible hand. Yeah, I guess, I guess if you look to the Illuminati, it's always obviously shown in every media as the Illuminati are the bad guys, even if they have the best of intentions. Even in the Marvel comics, the Illuminati, like, mean well, but they still kind of fuck shit up. Like, if they were more close to let me analogy to not to spoil too much about interstellar but like the idea that a secret organization like nasa was trying to do something for the betterment of everyone else but they couldn't tell everyone because they couldn't trust them yeah it's an interesting take on an illuminati i like that i like it i and i i like the uh the rhythm and the beat uh that you wrote with it's sort of like a meander i felt like i was in like a coffee shop somewhere hearing someone <laughs> <laughs> yeah again we'll put the whole thing up on uh paranoiashop.com so thank you javier Aaron? Our next one uh, is an email from Mr. Alex Hagley. Regular shopper. Fan, fan shop, shopper, yes. So he wrote, Chad and Aaron, this scares the fuck out of me, and the creepy part is this shit really happened to real fucking people. This is the face of fear. And then, there's a and then he links link. to something called Ever Dream This Man. So here's the lore. Oh, no, I already don't like this idea. I already know what this is about. I don't like this idea. In January 2006 in New York, the patient of a well-known psychiatrist draws the face of a man that has been repeatedly appearing in her dreams. And more than one occasion, that man has given her advice on her private life. The woman swears she's never met the man in her life. That portrait lies forgotten on the psychiatrist's desk for a few days until another patient recognizes that face and says that this man has often visited him in his dreams. Mm -hmm. He also claims he has never seen that man in his waking life. All right, we're going to see the drawing of the man. Right. And so the drawing is him. Oh, I don't <laughs> like that. So there's this oh, poster. Like there's a poster that was put up around town that said, Ever dream this man? And there's this sort of like creepy elfin figure who has these sort of thinning hair and incredibly thick eyebrows. He looks like um, like a more natural version of like, you remember Brian Peppers? 
<laughs> from yes. YTMND era. Yeah. Uh, like it was like like a like a humanoid, more human version of Brian Peppers. Right. So uh, uh, below this face, the sketch it says, "Every night all over the world, hundreds of people see this face in their dreams. If this man is appearing in your dreams too, or if you have any information that can help us identify him, please contact us at www.thisman.org." Is it really thisman.org? Yeah. Is the site still up? Uh, probably. Let's find out. So. The rest of the story is, the psychiatrist decides to send the portrait to some of his colleagues that have patients with recurring dreams. Within a few months, four patients recognize the man as a frequent presence in their own dreams. All the patients refer to him as this man. From January 2006 until today, at least 2,000 people have claimed to have seen this man in their dreams. In cities all over the world, Los Angeles, Berlin, Sao Paulo, Tehran, Beijing, Rome, Barcelona, Stockholm, Paris, New Delhi, Moscow, etc., etc. All see the same man. Some see him as a fatherly figure. Others fall in love with him instantly. But others fear him. Okay. Alright. Freaked out. I was not <laughs> expecting the man to look like, you know, the third brother the guy of, of Ray Barone. The guy in all of Raymond. Uh, I mean... Maybe other people have more vivid dreams. I don't remember, unless it's a friend, I know it's supposed to be a friend. I don't even, like, recognize faces in dreams. Yeah. Like, I might have a dream with you, for example. You've been in multiple dreams. We fought But you're just aware that it's millions. But, like, I know it's you, but I'm not visibly seeing you as a face. I just know, like, yeah, I was with six people, and I can kind of, like, associate with the way dreams are just kind of like a blurry, sliding water, you know, water paint. So, I think we would discuss this as far as, like, also identified aliens in previous podcasts. I would worry... There's no good way to completely unbiasedly find more people who have sketched this man. And it's not like confirmation bias. The the first, even the second one, it would have to be the second person who claims to see this man would have to have been requested to draw that person Mm -hmm. and then see there was an example. Like, you can't have even just a drawing done for you ahead of time and then go, that looks like a guy I dreamed that one time. Because you're already going to start, like, just connecting a random face with the blurry unidentified faces in your dream. Do you want to hear some of the quick uh, theories that people have come up with of why they why they're seeing this sure. guy? Sure, well he's probably uh, either John Cusack in Serendipity or whatever or he's the Lord of Dreams. <laughs> or he's the Dream Master. Yeah. Uh, so there's one is the archetype theory, which if you know anything about Jungian psychology, it's the idea that uh, there's an archetypal image that this uh, man represents, like that all of the subconscious of humanity sort of recognizes, like this is an archetype of something, like a fatherly figure. So you're saying like in our in our DNA? In our, almost hard-wired. in our DNA is hardwired, like this is what I fa- the face of like, a father But he's not like, like, if it was like a, like a bearded like father figure, figure i go okay so that's just falling into like how we're trained to think of like dads or if it was like a terrifying face like oh it's just nightmares we associate Mm -hmm. with like scary it's just like a boring man who's balding and has big eyebrows he's probably gonna kill me in my what if god was one of us Mm. just a stranger on the bus but i would not see what he could be connected to as far as our innermost desires other than a fear of bald true okay moving on dream surfer theory uh, it's the most interesting theory, but also has the least scientific credibility. In this theory, the man is a real person who can somehow enter people's dreams by the means of some specific psychological skill. In real life, the man looks like the man in the dreams. Others believe he's a t- completely different and is just somehow able to astrally project into people's minds. Oh, the way like the Shadow King in like, X-Men could just make himself look like 
a terrifying demon when he's really just like a fat man with a fez. Exactly. I think you're missing the best theory I saw on this list, that he is God. That he is the image of the creator, and that's how we <laughs> see him in our dreams. And uh, if he is the dream master, he's not sinister, I don't think. I think he just goes into your dreams and eats, like, chips. <laughs> like, he goes into your, like, kitchen and, like, gets he some food. He does look like a guy who just, like... Hey, you got any more guac? And just like hangs out and just like on your couch in your dream world yeah. and just like you don't even pay attention to him, we just like eat some chips. So the answer, of course, is that it's just a big fucking hoax. Mm-hmm. Uh, the copypasta story is said to have been originated from thisman.org, which is a website launched in 2009 by an Italian viral marketing specialist named Andrea Nutella. Aww. It was also revealed that Nutella runs an advertising agency called Guerrilla Marketing, Aww. which designs subversive hoaxes and creates weird art projects exploring pornography, politics, and advertising. The site was originally acquired by horror movie production company Ghost House Pictures in promotion for an upcoming film called This Man, written and directed by American filmmaker Brian Bertino. So someone trying to make a film after this little, like, advertising phenomenon. Yeah. Okay. And, by the way, the story that I described is almost exactly to the plot line of Call of Cthulhu. Except he doesn't look like a giant tentacle. He's not a tentacle monster. He's a weird gnome guy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, moving on. Moving on. Uh, We have another one from Undead Priest 12 writes, Dear Aaron and Jesse, what? Womp, womp, womp. He wrote wrote it like Ego Raptor. That's okay. I get to be Ego Raptor. Yeah, fine. And and you're Jesse Cox. (laughs) (laughs) So I was going to tell you guys about Chip Chan and number stations, but since both of these topics were covered on your last family episode, I racked my brain searching through my memories of ill-spent time on forums and the internet to find some good topics to bring to you. And I'm happy to say, I think I remembered quite a few. Some for your own personal edification, and some as topics you may want to use on the show. I'll try to give a brief rundown on each topic, just from what I can remember off the top of my head. Okay, so Undead Priest 12 sent us a bunch of ideas. We're not going to cover all of them here, because I think some of them actually will be good for future episodes. But here's a few we thought were kind of neat that might stand alone. Well, the first ones is known as uh, the Black Eyed Kids or the Black Eyed Children. These are not unfortunate victims of child abuse. These are alleged paranormal children whose eyes are entirely black, congregate in groups, slash are hive-minded, and seem to operate on some of the same principle as stereotypical vampires. Black-eyed kids, depending on whom you hear the stories from, do not have reflections, cannot enter an abode without permission, and usually have a pale and inhumanly blank expression. I don't remember how or why the victims are killed in the stories, but I think the primary scare in the stories is that of death, which makes sense. That seems like it would be the most scary thing. Yeah. All right, so they're vam- they're basically vampires, low-rent vampires because they're kids. I guess vampires are still super strong. Yeah. We still need to get in. Like, I'm not letting any kids in my house. Do they do? Do they kill them? I, the, the, well, they I, might kill you. They're when tr- I read about them, they're just like they just kind of look at you and freak you out. Well, like, they just let me use the phone. You. Yeah, if they, if they still work as vampires, essentially, that's what I don't think saying. they are vampires. Well, he says though. they seem to operate on some of the same principles. Yeah, like vampires. they have to be invited in. Right. So that means they're trying to probably get your blood or something. But I don't like, think so. I you, I looked up the black eyed children and I couldn't my find favorite anything. Band is the black eyed children. <laughs> <And> I <laughs> got that boom boom eyes, <laughs> and there was nothing in there other than they just are creepy and look at you and then when you ask them questions they stare at you with their black eyes i'm less likely to let a kid come into my house if i don't know who they are than an adult i think but like a kid with no pupils yeah, just some like weird like pale <laughs> like you no know, uh hot topic kid is trying to like come into my house i'm like no get out of here kid. get out of here kid go find your kid. I'm, watching, I'm watching cartoons get out of here <laughs> another one submitted was called the hollow earth 
He says, I'm rather fond of this one because it's grandiosity. The hollow earth conspiracy claims rather simply that the earth is entirely hollow. I guess I've never dug that deep. I don't know. We don't know. We don't know. I believe that is the only through line for all of the hollow earth conspirators. And from this, it branches off into many different sub-conspiracies, as I hoped it would. Like <laughs> the different layers of the Earth's crust. Some claim that at the center of the Earth, there is not a molten core, but instead a small star. And that the star's constant process of fusion maintains the Earth's spherical shape and crust-solid solidity. Is that also just what gravity does? So, I mean, <laughs> I guess you understand how stars have gravity. Uh, but, all, okay, alright. So, I mean, I guess the science, like, in roughly checks out. Except... Except the, the, the crust would have to be at the perfect like event horizon, I guess, to use black. Like the sun would have to be perfectly the same size. Yeah, whatever as the, what ter- the molten core would be. Whatever the term for like geosynchronous orbit, like we would have to be like in a constant rotation. It seems a lot more complicated. Yeah, well, than, than just magma. Uh, this, of course, is contrary to everything science knows about stars and geology. But hey, that's never stopped conspiracies before. Hollow Earth conspirators claim there are between three to five entrances to the Hollow Earth, one at the north and south poles, respectively. Oh, that's how Santa, Santa gets lives around. In the middle of the so Earth. Santa gets around. He jumps around through the holes. It makes sense. Yeah. So there's one in the North Pole, there's one in the South Pole, another in Tibet. The Tibetan Hollow Earth entrance is claimed by conspirators to be the entrance to Shangri La. Oh, I, see, I like this. I like so that. Wait, there's like, a cool. Like, so I, I guess here's something that you would think about. If the Earth is hollow on the outside of the Earth, that means on the inside of the Earth, there would be like a whole other second continent and second world unexplored space. Maybe it would a second be like Earth. in sci fi. It'd be like in Halo, where there's something on the inside of the ring. Yes. But okay. In three dimensions. Theoretically, it'd be dark and it'd be so that would, that's where Shangri La is, just both people. Or, no, I think he's saying Shangri La is the entrance into the crust. But that, so that on the Earth but I mean if it, if it means what we think it means it means Shangri-La is a desirable place and not just a horrible mole dungeon. Yeah, I mean I guess it's, it's hollow earth is just how you get in. So it'd be kind of cool like other famous like Atlantis is probably like a hole. So what is in the hollow earth you might ask? Well that again depends on who you ask. Let me give you a quick rundown and then he lists the wonderful uh list of everything that's believed. Aliens, ancient aliens, lizard people, ancient humans, Atlantis. See there you go. Mole men. Giants, dinosaurs, and Adolf Hitler. What? Seriously, I'm not joking. Apparently, Adolf Hitler was a proponent of the Hollow Earth theory. Okay. And one of the larger pieces of evidence conspirators cite is a letter from a German U-boat captain who, <laughs> post VE Day, claims that he took Adolf Hitler's remains to Antarctica in search of the <laughs> Hollow Earth entrance there, and eventually found it, leaving the Fuhrer there to be born among whatever variant of super beings he believed in. <laughs> Wow, that's the smoking gun, all right. Just some fucking weirdo on a U-boat. Do you think they just gave him, like, not Hitler's remains? They just gave him, like, a pile of dirt and just like, oh, this is it. Yeah, go for it, uh, Hans. Oh, God, crazy Hans. We're finally out of his hair. Uh, Among other evidence there to cite is an alleged account of an encounter with an ancient utopian civilization in Antarctica by the lead of an Antarctic military expedition. While I could not find it, and it was frankly rather boring, I don't know how it could be, I remember watching a documentary by an organization that claimed to be scientific and advocating research into the hollow earth. Okay, so that's I stupid. Love that. Okay, I love it, though. I like the I never think about... I'm just trying to think of, like, we would have to have some sort of support holding up the earth. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but he continues at the end. Keep up the great work on the show. I look forward to hearing more from you guys. Sorry if this email ran too long, but hope it was at least useful. Yes, it was. Thank, Thank you, Matt S. Uh, P.S. I'd love to see Commander Holly back on for another show. We should so have we. back on. Yeah. We should get on that. Uh, totally. I'll call her right now. <laughs> Holly, are you there? 
hi. Oh, hi. Hi, Aaron. I'm just uh, petting all my birds. So what do you think about the birds? Are they monsters or something? Uh, b- birds are all of us and we're all birds. Coo, coo. <laughs> That's pretty good conspiracy. Holly, Thanks, talk Holly. To me for a while after that. Thanks, okay. Holly. Uh, another letter, Aaron. Uh, Sam Collum writes, I was thinking about the Hope Diamond and its related stories and thought it would make a good topic for the podcast. Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, I the mean, Hope Diamond that the Muppets steal? Uh, they steal the baseball diamond. In it was the, the great, baseball diamond? In the Great Muppet Caper, it was a massive pun. They were ordered by... Oh, my God. Anyway, they they decided to steal the baseball diamond, which okay. was clearly supposed to be like the Hope I'm Diamond. I'm sorry. I remember when I was thinking as an adult that it was the Hope Diamond. I forgot <laughs> it was a dumb pun. Okay, so continue sure. with the Hope Diamond. So the Hope Diamond is historically one of the most valuable and historic uh, gems of all time. I've actually seen it in person when I uh, many years ago. It's just a giant uh, like blue diamond. Uh, it's just like the biggest diamond, right? It's not the biggest, but it's 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 mainly prized for its historic significance, uh, among which is this concept of the Hope Diamond Curse. Hmm. Uh, according to legend, a curse befell the large blue diamond when it was plucked, i.e. stolen, from an idol in India. A curse that foretold bad luck and death, not only for the owner of the diamond, but for all who touched it. Mm-hmm. Several centuries ago, a name, man named Tavernier made a trip to India. While there, he stole a large blue diamond from the forehead or eye of a statue of the Hindu goddess Sita. Never want to do that. And for this transgression, according to legend, Tavernier was torn apart by <laughs> wild dogs. Torn apart by wild dogs. That's how, that's how Cena gets them. It's just awesome to watch hungry dogs I'm gonna, after him. He gotta get it up by them dogs. This was the first horrible death attributed to the curse. It went on to be sold to King Louis the Fourteenth, And then when he died, he passed it on to his grandson, uh, who became king with Marie Antoinette as his mm. queen. According to legend, Marie, T- Marie Antoinette and Louis the Sixteenth uh, were beheaded during the French Revolution because of the Louis Diamond's curse. Uh, during the French Revolution, the crown jewels were taken from the royal couple as they attempted to flee France in 1791. Pre pre-heading. Pre-heading. Pre-beheading. Pre-beheading. Then the legend kind of gets murky until 1939. Uh, it was in the possession of William Philip Hope, for whom the diamond was named. The Hope family is said to have been tainted with the diamond's curse. According to legend, the once rich hopes went bankrupt because of the Hope diamond. How? Gambling. But gamble the diamond. <laughs> Since acquiring the diamond, the wealthy Hope family went bankrupt and forced to sell the cursed item just to survive. A wealthy heiress named Evelyn Walsh McLean purchased the diamond, believing its history bad luck would turn into good luck for her. Evelyn McLean wore the diamond all the time, according to one story. Isn't it like the size of a baseball? Yeah, I mean, but it's like a showpiece. You're like, so it's like a giant thing. It's, it's the equivalent of bling in the rapper community. Your poor back. <laughs> according to one story it took a lot of persuading by mrs mclean's doctor to even take it off when she was getting an operation on a goiter on her neck uh <laughs> probably caused from having <laughs> yeah i was emitting radiation uh though evelyn mclean wore the hope diamond as a good luck charm others saw the curse strike her too her firstborn son vincent died in a car crash when he was only nine why wasn't a nine-year-old drive a car uh, because the diamond told him to. <laughs> McLean suffered another major loss when her, when her daughter committed suicide at age 25. In addition to all of this, McLean's husband was declared insane and confined to a mental institution until his death to in To be fair, if you had such tragic loss uh, uh, hit you, 
and your wife was carrying around a giant blue diamond. That she refused to take Despite up. you having probably all these hardships, you probably would also go insane. True. She wanted her jewelry to go to her grandchildren when they were older, but the jewelry was put on in 1949, two years after her death, in order to settle the horrendous debts of her estate. When the Hope Diamond went on sale in 1949, it was bought by a new art jeweler, but some believe that finally he donated the Hope Diamond to rid himself of the curse before it claimed his life too. Wait, wait, wait where's the diamond? So now it is on display in a museum collection of famous gems in uh Oh, in I liked it more when someone someone owned it. So I, it could be the diamond caused all these horrible things to happen, or rich people are crazy and people hate them and they're stupid. Yeah, rich people, we got what's coming to you. <laughs> yeah. Hope Diamond's slowly taking people out. Uh, another one from a Clyde Singleton uh, who writes in, Hey guys, Clyde Singleton here. Howdy. Hi, Clyde. Love the show a ton. Keep up the great work. I thought I'd share a personal story with you. When I was a little boy, I had an imaginary friend. Her name was Annabelle, which I think is also a horror movie coming out right now. Yep. She was probably my best friend. I was pretty weird and had no one else. Dude, it's fine. My imaginary best friend was a talking giant dog named Max. I guess that <laughs> means I was probably a furry in training. Uh, she was always there for me when I needed someone to play with or someone to be with me when I was feeling down and even guide me through the day. Hey, man, was Annabelle, was Annabelle cute? How is she? Was she cute? Uh, she would tell me she, she would tell me to do certain things at certain times. Brush your teeth, go to bed, wake up, and more things of that nature. Which is that's actually kind of kind of scary. Uh, she would also play a caretaker role, asking if I were okay and if I needed help, asking what was wrong, and consoling me from time to time. And I asked her questions too, but she always had very vague answers. She would always give her opinions on others around me. She referred to my parents as the bad ones, Whoa. judging people on what she could see and giving me advice on how close. I should be to them. That is... That's freaky. That is very opinionated uh, invisible friend. I could see her, but not very well or very often. I did, however, see her more often in dreams. She had short brown hair, green eyes. She always wore a blue dress with red shoes and a red ribbon in her hair. So she's from like the 1940s. Yeah. As I grew, she remained the same age. She first came around at the age of four. By the time I was 10, I had actual friends, I'm glad, and started to realize that I should have grown out of an imaginary friend, and my vision of her slowly began to fade. Besides in, <laughs> besides in dreams, your mom's a bitch. Her voice remained, <laughs> though, as if she was some part of my own conscience, but yet she remained her own self with the personality she always had. Just want to interject. If I was like uh, a modern psychiatrist, I would say that's like your latent feminist sexuality, like sure. trying to come forth. I don't think that's what's happening, but that's would be my that would be my stereotypical. She continued with her watching over me throughout my teen years when I battled with depression and anxiety. She was always there asking me if I was okay, asking what she could do to help, reminding me to eat, get out of bed, and reminding me things will be okay. I had been questioning her for a while. Things would ask are, "Why are you here?" and she'd respond, "I'm here I'm to help here to you." Help you. <laughs> I asked, did someone send you here? Her response was, no, no one, one sent me. me. I'm, I'm here, here because, because I, I have, have to be. be. And I asked, do you want to leave? She replied, I, I can't, can't leave. leave. Which is super scary. <laughs> Annabelle remained with me through everything, including me meeting my beautiful wife. And only then did she start to fade. Months later, my wife came to me and broke the news that she was pregnant. And oh no! And soon we uh -oh. found out we would be having a girl. With no knowledge of Annabelle at all, my wife suggested that we should be name of our daughter. One day of the Annabelle's birth, she just looked at me as I expected. Light brown hair, green eyes. Ah! Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> that took a left turn. <laughs> ah! Wait, 
Wait, what does that mean? So that you just had like the ghost of your unborn. Was it like Ender's Game where you had like an idea in your head and it became a like a there's, child? There's two different ways this is going. Good story. Two different ways this is going. She is the uh, potential unborn daughter of Clyde. Yes. Uh, like in Spider-Man when his unborn daughter with Mary Jane and Peter like taunts him in his dreams when Peter decides to like reset the universe to save Anne May. Well, anyway, so there's that potential. Or Annabelle, ghost angel, dark spirit Annabelle, went into your wife's womb. I'm sorry to insinuate such things. It seemed like a, a benign spirit, though, besides the parents being the bad ones thing. Well... Yeah, I'm just saying, like, not even necessarily an evil thing, but just the, yeah. like, uh, almost like Scientology, a spirit went into your body, uh, maybe preconception, I don't want to get too into it. Your, ch- into your, your child is Xeno. Your child is Xeno. <laughs> That's what we're trying to say. And, you're, and, and now your wife is, I guess your baby's Annabelle. Yeah, your baby's your ghost Annabelle. That's cool. You should watch out for your as kid. As soon as your baby is old enough to talk, you should ask... Ask it very specific leading questions that only Annabelle, your your uh, childhood. Can best I? Friend can we know. have Annabelle on the show? Can yeah. You, can you? Can you? T- can you come on the show? <laughs> Let's Skype with a, a child. Let's Skype with, and she just the the screen just all starts shaking. <laughs> wow, uh, congrats that's, on that's your crazy. Congrats on the baby. I'm hope you I hope it's more that your baby's just hyper intelligent. Annabelle was child. making sure that you conceived her. Essentially, yeah. That's kind of sweet. Also makes sex feel weird. We have another email here from Andre Villanueva, who writes, Hey, Chad and Aaron, love the podcast. Just found it a week ago and have listened to every episode several times by now. Oh, thanks. I know it's been a while since your last update, but if you guys do another fan mail episode on poltergeist haunting or other dickish spirits, I have some stories for you. I move a lot and seem to be a magnet for weird things. About two years ago, when I took a break from college, I had nowhere to go, so I stayed in an old house with my brother for a while. I slept in a room that didn't look like it was actually part of the house originally and had a lot of leaks, but it was cozy enough for me. Anyways, after a few nights of thinking I heard strange noises at night, I decided to set some mouse traps, thinking that would solve the problem. A week after that, I kept waking up from my room just getting too cold. Shortly after that, the room smelled weird and I had no clue what it was. Then I started waking up with scratches on my arms, and then I really freaked out. At first, I thought it was just a really smart rat that got mad by the traps I'd set. One night while I was trying to fall asleep, I thought I heard something, so I rolled over and saw nothing. But when I turned back around, there was a really strong smell of burning hair. I turned on the lights to see if I accidentally set something on fire, and lo and behold, there were three deep, long scratch marks going down my sheets in the futon I was sleeping on. Needless to say, I was freaked and started sleeping on the floor, thinking that maybe the bed was haunted. Pretty regularly after that, I would wake up with scratches or burns and had no clue what was making them. I then moved in with my friend and his super religious family that had their house blessed and nothing weird happened Wait, while I was there Wait, did you move in knowing that they were religious super and would keep you protected from ghosts? That's a that's a strong move. It's it's a gamble because maybe the it would just piss off the spirit. Yeah. But a few months after that, I lost my job and I had to move again, this time to an apartment downtown. After a few months, I thought I'd started to smell the burning hair again but thought it was just my neighbors. Shortly after, weird things started happening again. I started waking up with scratches on my face. I guess whatever spirit was trying to get my attention thought I wasn't noticing the ones on my arms and went to something more noticeable. Well, after that, I didn't know what to do, so I tried to communicate with the spirit, all unsuccessfully, but I had peace for a short time. 
Then I started getting burns on my forehead, all similar to the three scratch marks that were on my bed. It was trying to get my attention, but I got more annoyed than scared of it. I moved a few more times since, and I've only had one strange injury since then, when I woke up with burns all around my mouth. I never found out what it was, or why it was doing what it was doing, but it was just one of those really weird things that happened to me. I'll send you guys some more stories sometime, but I just thought this was worth sharing. Love the podcast, yeah. and hope for many new episodes to what? come. What? Wait, is this a story, or did this actually happen to you? Because if this actually happened to you, uh, I don't think it was a poltergeist. I think... I think a tiny man lived in your house. Either a tiny man lived in your house, which is no less frightening. And uh, and I guess he must have been following you around. Like, maybe it was sort of like a Big Trouble in Little China thing, where as you were moving away, he was just holding onto the bottom of your van. Mm -hmm. uh, either that, or you're just like a sleep masochist, where you just wake up and will burn your face. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I've like, been... Did, did you have any dreams where you were Marv from Home Alone and you were just hurting yourself? on all of these traps. I definitely used to, like, accidentally scratch myself in my sleep, just, like, you itch, but you itch too much. Burning means, like, you may have made some eggs or something while you were sleeping, like, in a, on the stove. I think a tiny man came out from underneath your closet every night and, like, just didn't want you to wake up. They just wanted, he just wanted to He was just, like, he was bored. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's creepy, though, man. Thanks yeah, for sharing. I'm glad you're okay. Let us know how that, that goes. Lionel Larson wrote uh, another massive paranormal smorgasbord. Mm -hmm. uh, again, we're not going to cover all of these here because there's just too many of them. We're going to save some for later podcasts, but there's a couple here I think we should definitely Yeah, cover. he also covered Black-Eyed Children. Um, yeah, that's a popular one. Uh, a few choice ones we'll jump into. Lionel tells us about Dolce Base in New Mexico. He writes, Dolce, New Mexico is located right on the Colorado-New Mexico border. It's a quaint town with a population just under 3,000. It's also the alleged location of a secret underground alien base. Okay. Okay. Uh, prove it. Philip Schneider, an explosive engineer who worked for the U.S. government with high-level security clearance, claimed that in 1979 he participated in the building of a secret underground base. Schneider asserts that he was suspicious of the engineering operation while noticing the presence of Green Berets and Special Forces. While well, they were just, like, digging a hole, and then these Green Berets These Green Berets up. are really overqualified to be digging holes. His fears were realized when, after drilling underground, he came face-to-face -face with a seven-foot-tall, stinky gray alien. I like the <laughs> stinky. Obviously, he freaked out and grabbed a pistol he was carrying, because that's what engineers do, and shot and killed two aliens like a badass. <laughs> green Berets. There's the walls. He drops them before the Green Berets get to him. Another alien shot some laser plasma ball or whatever at him and blew off some of his fingers. Whoa. He was saved by a Green Beret who allegedly gave his life for him. In all, 60 human people allegedly lost their lives that day at the alien-human Battle of Dolce. So the aliens are just underground. Yes. Which actually is connected to World of the World, right? I think, believe in the books, not in the movie, that they were like... Uh, they were buried they were millions buried, of years like, ago. Yeah, forever, and now they just finally woke up, which is yeah. an interesting twist. It's also um, the plot of uh, Mountains of Madness. There's like a bunch of underground aliens. Yeah, it's strange. You think they would like, land, but they actually just been underground. Yeah. Uh, he continued on. The quote said... There's a war under there, and it's been going on since that time, Snyder had said. He spoke of 1,477 underground bases around the world, 129 of which were located in the United States. Military forces from multiple countries have been engaged in such warfare with aliens. Uh, Snyder became an outspoken advocate, calling for the government to be more transparent about their knowledge of alien life. He also believed people in the government were trying to shut him up. 
When he died by suicide, his supporters called foul play. <gasps> wow. So this is this is sort of a hollow earth theory, or at least that there's this sort of subterranean cast of seven foot tall stinky aliens. I like the idea they're underground, just like hanging. They can out. shoot energy balls like a fucking doom. Yeah, monster. they're just ready to go. <laughs> and they yes, they would be stinky because you're underground. Yeah. So, uh, another one that uh, that he included on his list were called atmospheric beasts, which I had never heard of before. Atmospheric beasts are the strangest of the flying monsters from cryptozoology. According to eyewitness reports, they are things that seem like living creatures, but they break all the usual rules that we apply to living things. Okay. They fly without the need for wings, and their bodies are only semi-solid, often partially invisible. So they're, they're like, like clouds. So they're like uh, the Hulk's dad in The Incredible Hulk. The first Is he movie. a cloud guy? Well, he turns into different things. Oh, the before. cloud dad. Yeah, the cloud dad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the theory is that many UFOs are actually extremely low-density animals native to the clouds. One of the most famous atmospheric beasts is the Crawfordsville monster, sighted in Indiana. Yay, Indiana. Woo! In 1891, which some researchers classify as a dragon. Yeah. Yeah, cloud dragon. For those who believe, atmospheric beasts are very fragile and lightweight creatures who are either native to Earth or are aliens that came from elsewhere. If the latter view is taken, then atmospheric beasts are sometimes thought to have originated in the atmosphere of some other planet. They can also be thought of as originating interstellar gas clouds, so they are, in effect, aliens without a native planet able to swim through space. Sweet. <gasps> That's pretty sweet. <laughs> Space whales! Sorry. Space whales! <laughs> Believers generally consider atmospheric beasts to be non-intelligent. I wouldn't say so. If they could make it to the planet. I I, I want to think that they are a, a friendly sp- race. Yeah, very smart. So that even if these creatures did originate somewhere other than Earth, they still don't count as sapient extraterrestrials. They're just, just animals. Just big yeah, dumb just cloud animals. animals. Just big giant cloud dragons. Better invisible. Uh, pretty great. I've never heard of them before at all. Uh, a few other ones he also included in his list. We're going to save for some future episodes. So thank you for those as well. Uh, we have a letter in from a fan and friend of the podcast. And also other Explosive Magico podcast host, Mr. Nick Allen. Do uh, you want to read Nick's question? Sure. He said, question for the pod. Uh, what were the monsters that terrified you at night as a kid? Do you think there were monsters in, under the bed, closet, or other place? Aliens? Watching X-Files very young made me scared of aliens and Pet Cemetery. made sure I never stepped near a bed that had space under it. Uh, I had a few that I remember uh, pretty clearly being terrified of. Uh, definitely influenced by those scary stories told in the dark books. Sure. Uh, the thing that most usually terrified me was tiny monsters. Uh, uh, like Gremlins, yeah. The, uh, the book, the book version of the movie Gremlins, and uh, the Gremlin story covered in Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Anything that was like uh, tiny enough to constantly be hiding within like eye shot of you, just yeah. in the corners of your eyes, was way more terrifying to me actually than like a giant werewolf because you could theoretically like shoot a werewolf. You could see it coming and know where he is. Yeah, I was actually really frightened by uh, a kid's movie called Critters. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that. Where I didn't just watch like, it because I knew it would be another They were just like little fuzzy balls that had like mouths of teeth full of fangs and they were just and it was actually like a horror comedy movie but I didn't know that and all I and I got so scared of it that I would actually avoid the VHS section of yep. the grocery store because they had a poster uh, of the Critters monster on it and it freaked me the fuck out. Yeah, I, I think it was the idea that like you don't need to have a giant Freddy, Freddy killer to kill you. You just need a tiny little thing to just rip your throat out, and then you're dead. 
Yeah. So the idea that like there could just be in this entire room we're recording, there could be a little. Uh, my thought process as a kid would be like there could be a goblin hiding underneath the table right here. Just there come could up, be, like, just slight, slice your right underneath my bed. Yeah. It, it made everything be a tiny little dark shadow could be where a monster was waiting, mm-hmm. and it definitely freaked me out, especially because they fight in it's like copies in Jurassic Park in some ways are yeah. more dangerous. Just than a, just a few T-Rex. little ones, a little bit of poison, little bit little tiny daggers. Thanks for that, Nick. We have a question about a conspiracy theory about the podcast itself. Uh, this is from Miguel. Miguel? Is that how you say that? Miguel, right? I think. Miguel, yeah, yeah. Miguel, that's not right. Dear Paranoia Shopkeepers, I have been an avid visitor to your shop since episode four, Spooky Noises of the Unexplained, and I was hooked instantly. Thank you. Thank you. Since then, I've listened to each episode, old to the newest, multiple times. Thank you. I've enjoyed the humor, but also sometimes seriously creepy topics of the paranormal. It isn't every day where you can find two hosts who bring such chemistry to one another while laughing in the face of the unknown. My hand is on Aaron's thigh right now, if you can't tell. Aww. The shop has been closed for a couple months. I was wondering if it'll ever come back. I've been stalking the Twitter page, and though you guys have made updates about the upcoming episode, it's been in the works for a while, and it's left us shoppers spooked. Is there a conspiracy with the podcast? Will there be a podcast dedicated to the conspiracies around Paranoia Shop? Where have the keepers been? Please come back. I'd love an episode on paranormal artifacts around the world, or really any new episode. Mr. Paranormal Investigations, Aaron and Chad, uh, we from a fan. Uh, P.S. A dedicated Reddit page would be nice. New episodes could be posted up there, plus fan interactions to the episode, and any more paranormal stuff we can dig up on the topic of the podcast. What a wonderful question. We are sorry we left you guys worrying. Uh, we have a few answers for that. One... Uh, this is probably actually written before we released the last episode. Yeah, where we uh, were still on our spirit quest. We're still on our spirit quest. Uh, I don't think we should get into too much, but Aaron and I have had some recent fun uh, life updates and stuff. Yeah, uh, where we have. I don't. Let's be vague. But let's say we okay. We, we quit our jobs. We quit our jobs. We got an amazing new dream job writing television, which is whatever we all want to do. Yeah, uh, but that has definitely put uh, our in our main priority for the foreseeable recent time. So we're sorry, Paranoia Shop has been put on the back burner for that. But do not think, especially since we're doing an episode right now, that we are going to let the show die. No. Uh, we plan to do more and more. Um, obviously, our schedules will change. But we plan to uh, record and continue to do the show. So sorry for the worry. So there was no conspiracy other than we may have been abducted by a, a strange cult. But as far as like the Reddit page for Paranoia Shop. There actually is a Paranoia Shop Reddit page. Uh, it's managed by a fan of the show. Uh, I believe his name is Deus Ex Machina. And if you go to r slash Paranoia Shop, S-H-O-P-P-E, you can subscribe there. You can contribute stuff. If you post a comment, we will respond. You should really check it out. It's pretty regularly updated. It's, I think, up to date now. We'll try to include more stuff as there as well. Um, but yeah, please go check it out. Subscribe to it. Subscribe to it. Post content or questions. And we will respond there just like we respond everywhere. We, we to do email. check and read there as well. So if you post something, we will for sure see it. Good idea. Already done. Thank you, Miguel. <laughs> Thank you. We only have time for about two more emails. This one is from Matt Flanagan, who writes, Hey guys, I just listened to the Paranoia Shop episode about buried treasure. Got a couple of things to say real quick. I'm sure you probably came across some crazy conspiratorial stuff along the way, but I was surprised when you didn't cover the the Nessara program. It's not exactly buried treasure, but it's a crazy nutjob conspiracy that lots of people believe existed back in 2012. Even cursory research, which is frankly all I'll ever give to something like this, will provide you with plenty of ridiculous podcast fodder. NISARA stands for the National Economic Security and Recovery Act. It's supposedly a proposed bill, which never made it before Congress, that sets up a fund 
that forgives all credit debt and loan debt to the American uh, people, abolishes the IRS, <laughs> and establishes a new system of state taxes. The list goes on. So it's like the ultimate bill. I actually have heard of this, and it, I wasn't sure what to do with it, because it's just like, yeah, there was a secret bill that was passed, but then it was quickly covered up. You said you mentioned it was passed in 2012. That's interesting, because when I read about it, it was right before Bill Clinton left office. So this must be like a regularly recurring idea that the government wants to forgive all debt of the well, American people. Well, I believe this could be a bill that someone drafted up. I yeah. don't believe this is a bill that went anywhere. But I think the implication is that it was like an executive order, and then it was all sort of like buried bef- by the powers that be that want to make money so off of So the theory debt. is that this passed, is what you're yes, saying. Yes, is that it, it was an actual thing that was going to happen, and then the government suppressed it. Uh, and and the, this lame duck president's attempt to like fix the American debt say, system. I definitely had credit debt at the time that this would have passed, yeah. so I would have been able to... Yeah, uh, I, I think we would all love this thing, uh, but it would wreak havoc with the current checks and balances system that we have with the economy that's just all about making the rich people isn't, richer. Isn't this what proposes the idea that all credit debt and loan debt goes away? Yeah, That's like the doomsday scenario for the last like 20 years of of action movies. Like, it's always, uh, it's in Fight Club and a bunch of other movies that like, they want to basically blow up the bank registry so that all of everyone's bank accounts go away. And everyone's free. It won't work. No one can survive. It would be chaos. Yeah, I'm fine with it. Blow it up. I don't give a shit. Uh, if you're going to do that, like, give me a day to go <laughs> buy some things. Yeah, physical things you can God. barter with. That's going to be one of those things where, like, you, you know it would just benefit, like, your jerk friend who happened to be like, yeah. I know I can't afford this PS3 right now, but... Whatever. I'll trade you this extra PS3 I have for food to fucking survive. Oh my god, yeah. Anyway, he also says we should make a cult episode. Uh, I would absolutely love to get into cults. I'm surprised we haven't done one yet. Yeah, we'll save that for a later episode, though. Thank you. Loving the show. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Mr. Flanagan. Thank you. Uh, We have another one from Chatty Chad, whose name I hope is legal and real. Uh, He writes... This is not, it sounds like I made it up. I did not make it up. Chatty Chad is a separate entity than Chad. This is another person who wrote it to the show named Chad. A Chad Chad. named Chad is writing to another Chad named Chad. That's cool. Uh, the subject of this email was cleverly disguised to avoid any suspicion from the G word. Hmm. Gorilla? Gadabout. Gattaca. Garbage person. Hmm. Picture this. Dinosaurs may not be the radical reptilian rascals we humans have come to know and love. And what's not to love about them? What with entertainment and education stemming from their very existence, sure. ranging from museums in the 20s to movies in the modern age, Jurassic World. But if dinosaurs were never wiped out by an ice age or an asteroid collision, but never were at all. So dinosaurs never existed. Wait, okay, hold on. What if the G word, for some reason, well, let's just say government, we're already on the radar, man. We're already... They're already monitoring us. (laughs) We're on a list. What if the government, for some reason, decided to plant the very first discovered set of dinosaur bones back in the early 1820s? They tipped off some local archaeologists to investigate a specific area, the area they buried the bones in a believable manner, or possibly they even hired the archaeologists to find the bones. I think it's really funny because they'd just be like, Hey, Tim! Tim, you know how you you went to college about digging stuff out of the dirt? Why don't you go dig right here? Yeah, you know, I've just been digging up, like, pots and everything, right? Like, nothing too cool. Um, hey, check it out, man. Check it out. Hey, what's that, what's that? Oh, there's bones in here. Oh, bones in here. But why would they do this? Uh, he then says, why are you destroying my childhood, Chad? Well, I'll tell you why. The government was getting nervous of the pesky little thing known as religion. 
Hmm. He had a move set to sway the state versus religion battle of old in favor of the government. They created an extinct species, unidentifiable by any religious books or recantation, to reinforce the theory of evolution and weaken the credibility of religious claims worldwide. Okay. I came up with this theory today after an elderly lady claimed simply, I don't believe in dinosaurs. <laughs> oh my god. I, I don't you, believe in dinosaurs. I hope you talked to her. At Please. first, I dismissed her statement, but after rationalizing the possibilities, I came to this hypothesis. Here are the pros to the theory's credibility. So this is an original theory. I didn't realize this was an original yeah, theory. Yeah, I like it. Dinosaurs are loved by one and all, so convincing people of this theory would be tough. Seems like the propaganda has sunk deep and rooted itself firmly in the hearts of many already. Also, the obvious inaccuracies in carbon dating. Although those those inaccuracies, they don't break the world. They're just yeah, they're just almost like they just give us vague ideas of when something was. It still goes dated. back like millions of right. Know, cons to the theory's credibility. In 1676, a man named Robert Plot found the thigh bone believed to be a giant man's. It was later found to be that of a megalosaurus, though it was mysteriously disappeared. A counterpoint to this would be that the government based the Megalosaurus' model after this bone for credibility. Let's see what you're doing there. Hmm. Random bits and pieces of bone scattered around who knows where. Feel free to share any pros and cons you find to this theory. You find or think of yourselves. I don't think we'll be caught as I have evaded any keywords the government may search with this, so we're sure we're in the clear. Again, you're now on a government registry. Yep. All right. Um, you're on the blacklist. Happy hunting, Chatty Chad. Okay, so, uh, Chad. Uh, I don't know. I think... Before the time we knew of dinosaurs, I guess I don't consider the government was that anti-religion at the time. I feel like the government was more pro-religion. I think that was a relatively recent phenomenon of the government being pro-science. By the way, if uh, if you don't know, Paranoia Shop is definitely a pro-dinosaurs are real podcast. Oh, yes. Uh, it, but if you have not had the opportunity, if you're not in the Midwest or the South or other parts of the country or the world of doing Go find a creationist museum. This sounds like part of the creationist <laughs> oh, museum. Oh, I've been to one. Trying to be real and realistic, showing that dinosaurs existed at the same time as humans. Yeah, the one I went to literally had an animatronic uh, Dionychus, and there was a chimpanzee riding it Best with friends. a saddle. Best friends. And they, it was having a great time. It's trying to like uh, wedge in the timeline of dinosaurs and human beings so that the yeah. Bible can still line up. But that's not what this theory is. No, this theory but, is... But the part about like dinosaur bones being manufactured yes, is also another that, thing I've that heard connected to creationism, it. where it's not the dinosaurs and humans are at the same time. It is that dinosaurs aren't real, and it's all like a conspiracy. And yeah. Here's one thing that I would say is like, it's not just, you mentioned Robert Plot. I would say that there are a lot of other instances where past civilizations have found these dinosaur bones, uh, and then those have been the basis of mythology. They became the, the foundation of the belief in dragons or cyclops. Mm -hmm. And then only later was it believed that those were actually the evidence of dinosaur bones. So it's not, you can't really say like, oh, right when, you know, the government became pro-science, they started, <laughs> like, it's like the dinosaur bones have been pretty much been around for a long time. Can I say that I thought this was actually going to be, uh, I know no one likes Dilbert, but when I was 12, I liked to read Dilbert for some reason. I thought <laughs> Dilbert was really funny. And my favorite joke in Dilbert was that dinosaurs uh, were still around because there was a character that was a dinosaur. Yeah. His name was probably like Dinosaur Dino Bird or Dino something. Bird. <laughs> yeah. It was probably something like that. And that the joke was that dinosaurs hadn't gone away, they'd just been going into hiding in people's closets and stuff. And I was like, that's kinda that's fun. Cute. That's fun and cute. I will say as skeptical as I am of your fun theory, 
I cannot, as a good scientist or, or pseudoscientist, fully discredit it because it is theoretically possible that the government has faked all historical evidence of dinosaurs for some reason. Yeah, I guess it would require you to have uh, control over the established hierarchy of education in, ar- in archaeology. Which I guess is No Child Left Behind could have been a dinosaur propaganda cult. Well, I mean, even just changing, like, you know, starting from the beginning of what we think a dinosaur bone is made out of and looks like and... Yeah, all of that was just like, of course it's made out of this fake plaster substance. Yeah, yeah, or whatever. It's it's calcium bone. Plasterification. Sure, it looks like giant chickens. Like, oh, I see. (laughs) That's why dinosaurs are so ridiculous. So, I I give you A-plus for originality. Maybe C-minus for plausibility? Also, dinosaurs are too cool. Uh, Yes. so So how dare you, Chad? Um, that is the end of our submissions for this. I know. That, I know this box. is like a huge, sloppy Thanksgiving feast of, of uh, <laughs> fan mail, but we felt obligated to make it up to you guys to get through them all, or as many as we could, for you guys to enjoy. I think that about wraps it up for this episode, though. We wanted to also thank everybody on the Twitter. You can hit us up on Twitter at Paranoia Shop. Uh, you can hit us up on the subreddit if you're trying to find it. Just go on Reddit. Slash R slash Paranoia Shop. S H O P P E. You can also go to our website, which is in due need of being updated. We'll I'm probably sorry, update guys. that I this week. I will update honestly. it this week. ParanoiaShop.com. Uh, and also, as far as getting to the podcast and everything on the feed updated as well, uh, thank you for all your support reaching out to us. You can also email us at, at ParanoiaShop at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone who has emailed to us and sent us support asking for episodes. It is genuinely appreciated. Uh, and even when an episode is delayed, and it makes us feel more worse for not getting it out on time. Yeah. It's still great to hear if people want to hear listen to it. Also, check out the other es- Explosive Magico shows. They're all getting really good. Like, everybody's been at the yeah, top of their Yeah, they're game all pretty like. shitty. Now they're getting pretty good. No, they've all been <laughs> getting really good. No, like, they're you all check really, really good. By the way, it, it hurts my feelings a little bit wow. that all the custom shows that have been ordered, nobody's specifically requested Aaron. I, I noticed. I've noticed a, a lack of Aaron and Chad in the custom shows. And uh, nobody's been like, I want to see paranoia shop but on this yeah I'm just that. just throwing that out uh, there if you do want to share the show that is the best thing the best things you can do i've seen this on twitter i've seen on the at replies uh spreading the word of paranoia shop to people is great and amazing yeah uh, you can send them to paranoiashop.com or just show them to your favorite episode show them to your favorite part sure show them to the website uh also please give us a review on itunes there's an explosive magico feed there's also the paranoia shop feed on itunes just give them a nice review that does a great amount to get it on the eyes of more people on itunes guys thank you so much for your support you've been wonderful and again thank you so much for everyone who interacts with us on twitter uh wolf pickle new fan lardis who's been tweeting about us a ton yeah uh, Chatty That's really cool. There. I've seen you guys as well. Dr. Bo Dangler, one of my favorite ones. El Rebel Day, Almighty Corks, Amy Ferox. Uh, so many awesome people tweeting about us on the show and spreading the word of Paranoia Shop. You guys are wonderful shoppers. Mistress Harper, all the usuals. Thank you so much for all your support and stuff. Please send us your tweets, send us your fan mail, send us your fan art. We haven't gotten a lot of fan art, but the, the bits that we have have been phenomenal. Didn't want to be too desperate and beg for it, but come on, man. Come we would now. love your fan art. Love some fan art. We want it on the walls uh, of our apartments. And that's about that. Oh, oh my God, Chad! What's that? Uh, What's that? Uh, 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 the eye's back. The eye's back. Uh, An atmospheric beast it's, is it's, coming uh, to fight it. us. The atmospheric beast is fighting the eye. Oh, oh, the eye's in the eye. Oh, the eyes. Oh, God. Oh, now they're kissing. Oh, now they're kissing. I'm, I'm on the atmosphere, beast. I'm oh, I'm just enjoying watching this. 
Bye, bye, bye. I'm so sorry. Bye, everybody. <laughs>